This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for July 10th, 2020. An actual Mac virus. One in 142 passwords is 123456. More copy and pasteboard protections, this time from Reddit, and a special announcement. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing pretty good. It looks like we've got some Intego news. Intego has been making software for Macs since 1997. That's a pretty long time in internet years. And I think you're going to tell us now that Intego is about to release some software for Windows. That's right. We actually already have software available for Windows. Did you know that? I did actually, but you know, I'm <laughs> trying to I'm trying to pretend that I'm naive here. <laughs> Yeah, so if you've been to the Intego website recently, intego.com, you might notice that there's a little banner that says, hey, Intego antivirus is available for Windows now. And if you click on that banner, you'll see that it'll take you to a page where it talks about how the Intego antivirus is now available for PC, and you can actually get Intego on your Windows machine or if you are using a Mac that has bootcamp, uh, or if you have a virtual machine, you're using maybe Parallels Desktop or VMware Fusion or VirtualBox, any one of those programs to run Windows within macOS, then you can also use Intego Antivirus within that Windows operating system as well. So no matter how you use Windows, you can also protect your Windows computer or your Windows virtual machine with Intego Antivirus now, which is pretty cool. That's great. I use Windows in a virtual machine. I don't really need to have a PC, but I guess there are probably lots of people who do use both, uh, either a Mac and a PC or a virtual machine. Bootcamp, on the other hand, it looks like it won't be available with um, Macs running Apple's chips uh, which are going to start being released at the end of the year. At least we think it's not going to be available. Uh, but it's very likely that Windows will still work in emulation in apps like Parallels Desktop and VMware Fusion. Yeah, we're pretty sure that that will still be a possibility. If nothing else, um, you know, th there are some different potential options for getting Windows to work. I I'm absolutely sure that one way or another, you'll still be able to run Windows on a Mac whether it's through emulation or, or some other means. Um, you know, we mentioned recently that Microsoft actually does make a version of Windows for ARM. Um, it's not quite as good as the Intel version. It's not as polished, um, doesn't have as many apps available for it. But, um, you know, maybe it'll get better as a result of Apple moving to ARM. Okay, so this is the Intego Mac podcast. Are we going to change it to the Intego Mac and Windows podcast? No, that's a terrible name, and we wouldn't want to do that anyway because, you know, at Intego, we still love the Mac. Uh, that's that's our whole thing, right? Intego's not losing its identity, and we we want 
our customers to know that like that's still our focus. That's what sets us apart from everybody else in the antivirus industry, right? Everyone else makes for Windows first and then Mac is an afterthought. And we're the opposite of that. <laughs> we're Mac first. And I, I wouldn't say that Windows is an afterthought, but it's but Mac is still our priority. Windows uh, we feel that it makes a lot of sense to to go into Windows because, you know, we know we have a lot of Mac using customers who also have Windows devices or who run Windows on their Mac and want to have that ability to use Intego software, which they're familiar with, to protect their Windows as well. And so we want to make that available to our customers, and we have. Um, and also this is a good thing because it enables us to serve a wider audience of users as well. So now people who have never had an Apple product can also experience Intego antivirus on their Windows PCs as well. So um, it's a win-win. We're still the same company that we've always been. Um, we just have another product available. Okay, great. I look forward to trying it out. We've got news on Evil Quest or Thief Quest. Uh, we talked about this in the last episode, this malware, uh, you called it a, a Trojan horse wiper ransomware something or other? What would you, how did you call it? Yeah, so in, in the blog post that I wrote up about this, um, I, I said that it could be described as a whole bunch of different things. You could call it not merely ransomware. You could also describe it as a wiper because it's not really true ransomware because they don't give you a way to recover your files. So you could call it ransomware. You could call it a wiper, a data stealer. Uh, it, it actually it can exfiltrate data from your computer. Spyware, keylogger, evader, because it tries to hide from antivirus software and things, a virus, and a rat. And now the virus is one of the new things uh, that to talk about this week. One of the things that was kind of still in the discovery process as we talked last week was um, we we noticed that there had been some uh, places where the malware was writing where normally you would see Google files. So remember, one of the things that this malware imitated was Google Software Updater. And it would pretend to be available as uh, something you could install on your computer to update Google software, which is kind of crazy. Because, of course, if you've got Google software installed, it's going to update itself. You don't need to go download a separate Google software updater. But what this would do is it would actually overwrite or actually make some changes to existing code from Google in places that already existed on your computer. That means because it's actually modifying existing code, that makes it a virus, which is crazy because it's like we, we tell people all the time, well, it's okay. You know, we talk about malware now because it's so rare that to actually get a virus on a Mac. Well, here's an actual Mac virus. So this has... Yet another, it's it's checking all the boxes. It's like, we want to be called every kind of malware <laughs> that exists just about. Uh, I, it's I, a soup and it's a breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't covered rootkit yet, so I hope they don't get there because rootkits are really nasty um, and, and very difficult to, to detect and remove. Um, but uh, just about everything else they've covered. I've got an idea. I don't think we've done an episode yet going through all the different types of malware. 
Um, we're going to put this on our list for future topics because I think it would be good to cover. Some of them kind of overlap in, in the way you've been describing here, but some of them are very different, like a rootkit, for example. It's very different than a rat. Uh, even though they can do similar things. So let's plan on doing this in a couple of weeks. I think um, it'll be very useful for our listeners. If we have covered this before, gosh, it might have been like back in 2017 when we started the podcast. It was very early days if we did do an episode like this. So it's worth it's worth covering again. So just to finish up on Evil Quest and Thief Quest, um, if it's ransomware, that means it encrypts files and asks people to pay to get them back. And it asks for the surprisingly low amount of $50, which isn't a lot. But is there a way to decrypt the files otherwise it, without paying? Well, yeah. And in fact, again, if you do pay, in this case, they won't even let you decrypt your files. You'll just be wasting your money. Oh, those cheaters. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I (laughs) expected them to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? But uh, thankfully, the community has gotten together. They have figured out a way to reverse engineer the encryption that they're using on on the files. And so uh, some developers have actually put together a free app uh, that will allow you to decrypt your encrypted files. Um, it's a little bit difficult to use. We won't get into all the details on how to do it. But um, if you go back to that uh, article on the Mac security blog, new Mac ransomware, spyware, evil quest in the wild, uh, you'll find a link in that article. And, and of course, we'll have it in the show notes too, um, to, uh, to that software in case you happened to install this and get your files encrypted. You can decrypt them. Okay, that's good to know. Um, So last week we talked about, it was the TikTok app that we found after iOS 14 came out. iOS 14 alerts you when an app is reading the clipboard. So that would be something that you've copied to the clipboard or the pasteboard is what they call it on iOS. TikTok was apparently doing this after every keystroke that people were typing. And some people were sharing uh, videos on the internet showing this. Well, it turned out that a lot of apps have been doing that. Um, Reddit, LinkedIn, Twitter, Starbucks, Overstop, AccuWeather, and more. And so we were discussing this before the show. My take is this has to be something in iOS 14 that these apps are interacting with incorrectly, like there's a new framework or API for managing text. Because if one app does this, it's malicious. If a dozen apps do it, it's just a mistake. Yeah, what's strange about this is just the the frequency of those alerts. That's what seems very odd. Because yeah, after I, every character. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of any good reason why anything would want to check the clipboard that frequently. Because if you're if you're typing something, if you're in the middle of typing something, how is the clipboard content going to change? That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, so I'm not a developer, but my thought is that it the OS has to constantly check if there's something in the clipboard or the pasteboard that can be pasted in. And no matter how fast you're typing, there is a moment between the moment you raise one key and tap the next one. Of course, these are virtual keys. So all these processes can do a lot in the background really quickly, and they must be checking something. So uh, in one of the articles on Mac Rumor, a person from LinkedIn said, 
We've traced this, I hope you can translate this for me, we've traced this to a code path that only does an equality check between the clipboard contents and the currently typed content in a text box. We don't store or transmit clipboard contents. What it sounds like to me is it's comparing something for some reason. I, I don't understand, but again, I'm, I'm thinking this is something, either it's a bug in iOS 14 or there's something going on that th- these apps aren't interfacing correctly because they're using a standard framework to input text. This isn't anything that, that different apps write. I, I think a bigger issue here, I mean, so yeah, it does seem like there's a bug, first of all. Um, and a lot of these things are probably going to be worked out. What, whether it's a bug in the way a lot of apps are developed or whether there's actually a bug in iOS itself is a little bit unclear, or maybe it's a little of each. I, I'm not really sure. But I think a lot of this is going to be resolved um, before iOS 14 comes out. What I'm more interested in is how many apps are actually checking the contents of your clipboard that you didn't expect. Um, I, yep. I've done a little research on this. We, we, I started talking about it last week, and and I'll probably do a little bit more before iOS 14 is officially released. Um, because that's, I think, uh, the more interesting story here. Just the fact that apps are checking the contents of your clipboard. Like, I think very few people really even realized this and, until the iOS 14 beta came out in the first place. Imagine the privacy concerns. If you're using a password manager and you copy a password, you've got it on your clipboard, and then you switch to an app. What does that app do with it? Um, There's nothing that guarantees that it's not going to send the clipboard contents off to a server. So... Okay, two things. First, it's really creepy because as you were saying that, I got a dialogue that there was an update for one password, um, <laughs> just a coincidence. But the second thing is, and I mentioned this to you before the show, I use Flipboard um, to read news, and Flipboard lets you both read news and like create your own magazines to share stories with others. So if you switch to the Flipboard app and you've got a URL on the keyboard, it says, we detected a URL. Do you want to put it into a magazine? That means it's checking the clipboard every time you switch to the app. So the question is, well, can they get passwords? Obviously they can. What are they doing with them? Are they parsing this text locally or sending it to the cloud? Right, exactly. There's a number of ways that they could do this where they're not necessarily just taking everything that's on your clipboard and sending it off to some remote server. It all depends on how the app was developed and and how privacy conscious the developer was or whether the developer may have had some nefarious ideas about uh, what to do with your clipboard contents. Um, so anyway, most, I would say probably most well-known apps probably are not doing something really bad, like just copying your clipboard contents and sending it off to a remote server without your permission. But, um, I've, I've personally observed at least one app doing that. Um, so it's quite possible that there are other apps doing the same thing. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Thunderbolt 4, and we're going to talk about lazy passwords. You already know that Intego loves Macs. After all, Intego has been making world-class Mac security software since 1997. But did you know that Intego Antivirus is also available for Microsoft Windows? If you've got Windows running on your Mac either in boot camp or in a virtual machine like Parallels, VMware, or VirtualBox, make sure to protect it from malware just like you protect macOS with Intego Security Software. 
Intego Antivirus for Windows is also a great solution for your friends and family members with Windows PCs. Download a free trial of Intego Antivirus for Windows today, and when you're ready to buy, use the link in the show notes for a special discount. Don't use Windows? Don't worry. We've still got a great deal for you. First-time buyers of Mac Premium Bundle X9 can get Intego's powerful Mac security and utility suite at an incredible 40% savings by using coupon code PODCAST20 at checkout. Intego, makers of the best protection software for Mac, and now for Windows, too. Okay, we recently talked about how Apple is going to be releasing Macs with their own chip. I'll link to an episode a couple months ago when we talked about, we were calling them ARM-based processors, because that's technically what they are. And Apple decided to just call it Apple Silicon, which I think makes more sense, because what is ARM-based? Is it really an arm and not a leg? And it's actually an abbreviation. So as the presentation was going on from the WWDC in my Twitter feed, a number of people were saying, oh, well, if they're not using Intel processors, can they still use Thunderbolt? Because technically Intel is the company that owns Thunderbolt. Well, the savvy Mac users knew that Thunderbolt had gone more or less public domain in 2018, and that this really wouldn't be a problem. Um, but there have been a lot of questions, and The Verge has an article um, saying that Apple promises to, to support Thunderbolt on its new ARM Macs. There's a couple things to know. One is that Apple was involved in the development of the Thunderbolt standard. These standards are really complicated. Some of them are open source and free, and some of them have licensing. Some of them, the licensing is limited to a period of time. Uh, I think it was only a year or two ago that MP3, the MP3 patent expired, so anyone could use MP3 encoding and decoding, but people had to pay a certain amount for every device that was playing MP3 files. So Thunderbolt will exist. We have Thunderbolt 4 coming, and Thunderbolt 3 is going to be part of the USB 4 standard, and these things get really complicated. You know, I'm thinking back before the show, I was saying when Thunderbolt 1 came out, it was supposed to be really fast, and it was no faster than FireWire 800, which was a successor to FireWire 400. What did we call the the pre-USB, pre-FireWire connectors on Macs? Not the network, that was local talk. Was it just SCSI? SCSI was for disks. Pre-USB, uh, let's see. Well, we had... Input-output stuff. Serial ports, SCSI... Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, we had serial ports or SCSI. I guess it depends on uh, what particular Mac model you're talking about. But yeah, yeah. So, so we've gone through a whole bunch of protocols for data in and out. The more recent Thunderbolts allow you to connect a monitor over Thunderbolt to your Mac. And that's great because we used to have a separate output for the monitor that was only for that. Thunderbolt is confusing. USB-C is confusing. All these things, there's too many of them to keep up. I'm not as worried about it, I guess. As long as I know that I've got a Mac that has like the latest Thunderbolt standard and anything that is shaped like it fits in that port will work in that port. Okay, that's cool. But it won't. And see, that's the problem. Because so this is based on a USB-C connector, right? USB-C is the connector. It's not the protocol. And the protocol, Mm -hmm. current USB-C, I think it's 3.1 or 3.2. You can have USB-C cables that pass data. You can have USB-C cables that pass data more quickly because they have chips in them and they can leverage Thunderbolt. You can have USB-C cables that pass power to charge items. Um, but some of the ones that pass data don't pass power. 
it's very hard to know when you buy a USB-C cable what it can do. Well, that's true. But again, if, you, if you've got a new enough Mac that's got the latest version of Thunderbolt, then any of those things... But it's not going to come with a cable. It, it may have a charging cable, but it won't have another cable that you connect to, say, a hard drive to get Thunderbolt speeds. Oh, I see. And yeah, you yeah. go buy a USB-C cable, you don't know what speed it's going to be, whether you're going to actually get the Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4 speeds. Well, okay. No, that's a fair point. Yeah. So if, if you're just buying a cable, um, you do need to make sure that it meets the right standards and all that. Uh, so so th- that is true. That That's important. And now if you're buying a, a hard drive or a monitor, in some cases, it may actually come with the right Thunderbolt cable, which uh, will simplify things for you. Um, but, uh, but if not, yes, you do need to be very careful in that case, because if you just think that, oh, well, hey, I've got this cable that looks like it'll work. Well, that might be just a, a USB-C cable, and it may not uh, support Thunderbolt at all. And, of course, that won't do you any good. In the early days of Thunderbolt 1, you didn't get cables when you bought a Thunderbolt device, and they cost like 50 bucks each, even yeah. for short cables. Yeah. And, and it, it's really a lot just for a cable. I, I, in any case, I, th- Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 4, they're great because you can run them into really big displays. Like, let's see, Thunderbolt 4 offers the same speed as Thunderbolt 3, but stricter hardware requirements for manufacturers – They will have to be able to support either two 4K displays or one 8K display and allow for PCIe data transfer speeds up to 32 gigabits per second. Um, And so that's really great for external storage and GPUs because you can plug an external GPU, an external video card into certain Macs, recent Macs. Um, so it offloads your video processing onto an external device, which is actually quite big and has a fan and it's noisy and you really only need this if you're rendering video. Uh, I think the thing to remember is that for civilians, this stuff doesn't matter. I mean, you may have a faster hard drive, but you're not going to be using the kind of hardware that really needs Thunderbolt 3 or 4 speeds. Quite true. Yeah. In fact, uh, other than possibly a, a Thunderbolt display, you most likely, or, or, or maybe an external hard drive, you, you're probably not really even going to be using Thunderbolt all that much. You'll, you'll be using the port to charge your, your computer, of course, <laughs> but. Or you'll be using, you'll be connecting USB 3 point something devices in the same port. That, that use the USB-C shape. Yeah, the, the circular right, shape. Which is the same port. <laughs> There's nothing on it that says Thunderbolt is this one and USB is that one. That's what's confusing. Anyway, this is like Groundhog Day. This is one of those stories that keeps coming up about how many people use lazy passwords. And we've got an article in ZDNet. Someone looked at 1 billion leaked credentials. Uh, you know, we've talked about these data dumps where there's you know, hundreds of millions of, of combinations of usernames and passwords. The password 123456 was spotted 7 million times across a data trove of 1 billion leaked credentials. And that means that one out of every 142 passwords is 123456. It makes me wonder if cyber criminals just want to make money, if you have a 1 in 142 chance of cracking into <laughs> someone's computer – why bother doing anything more sophisticated? Of course, there are other well-known passwords that come in um, that are very popular. So why would anyone bother if they can potentially get, um, let's see, 42% of all the passwords included in the 1 billion data set were vulnerable to quick dictionary attacks. 
Why bother trying to crack a fancy password? There's a lot of reasons why, obviously, you shouldn't have a weak password. We've we've mentioned them many, many times on the podcast. I think that the problem is that a lot of people uh, with with some of these accounts that you know are showing up in these in these data dumps um, are accounts that people have set up. And they didn't really care what happened to these accounts. They thought, oh, this account is unimportant, you know, and or maybe they set it up for like a one time thing, maybe so they could post on a forum and they thought I'll never use this again. Or some people may just choose an intentionally easy to remember password um, for sites uh, that, you know, they think, oh, well, nobody's ever going to try to log in as me on this site and I don't use it that often. So I'm just going to use a weak password on this one because it's one that I use everywhere and I can remember it easily. Well, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, I'm surprised that a six character password actually shows up that often because uh, a, a lot of sites require at least eight characters now. Well, six tends to be the minimum, but what what I found interesting in this article is that the average password length is 9.4822 characters. That means that if you've got a lot of sixes, you've got a lot of 12s as well to balance out. So there are a lot of people who are using more secure passwords. 12% of them contain special characters, but 29% only have letters. 26% are only lowercase. 13% are only numbers. So that's the one, two, three, four, five, six, but all the others. Uh, maybe someone's being sophisticated. I'll do two, three, four, five, six, seven, and that'll fool them. It's pretty shocking to see some of these uh, numbers side by side that, you know, uh, almost 29% of passwords are letters only. What? Really? Like, do, do, have have people not heard of dictionary attacks? Of course they haven't. I, I'm a security. Of course geek. they haven't. I know yeah, about dictionary yeah. attacks, but it's like you know, pe- people don't know about these things. They don't realize that uh, you know, there's very easy brute force attacks where nobody even has to sit there and try one word after another. And I think that's what people imagine. They, they see all all these, you know, TV shows and movies and, and all these, they get all these misconceptions about how hacking works. And the reality is most of hacking is just sitting down at a computer, running a script and walking away and letting the script, you know, do all the work for you. And, and one of the things that that those scripts can do is try a whole bunch of passwords over and over again, ad nauseum until they finally find your password. So if you're using a weak one, it's going to be in one of those password dictionaries and that the script kitties, you know, the unsophisticated bad guys are going to be able to use to hack into your account. I find it interesting that 34% of all passwords end with digits, but only 4.5% start with digits. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because if you go to log in on a website and your username's taken, websites will often suggest, you know, uh, instead of Josh, you can use Josh2 or Josh439 or something like that. So the idea of appending digits at the end is just something we see normally. You wouldn't log into a website as 2Josh, Right. Um, so the fact that passwords end with digits kind of reflects that, I think. That's a good point. Yeah, I was trying to figure out why people tend to put digits at the end of their passwords. But I, I think another reason for that is that a lot of people think, oh, 
Hmm. You know, maybe if I just put a word that's not really good enough, I'll put in uh, a two digit, you know, birth year or whatever that's meaningful to me, or maybe four digit if they're really clever or if they think they're really clever. (laughs) But um, yeah, you know, it's actually better to intersperse those numbers, put them somewhere different anywhere other than at the end, because that's the most predictable place to put a number in a password. Maybe put one number at the beginning, one number at the end, one number maybe after the second or third letter, you know, um, but be creative about it. The more creative you are, the less likely that someone is going to be able to randomly hit on your password or that it'll show up in a dictionary attack. Right, because when we talk about dictionary attacks, what that means is it's not an actual dictionary with definitions, it's a list of words, and there's 50,000 words, 100,000 words, and it's got names, it's got places, and the script just tries one after another, and it's pretty easy for the script to try, I don't know, California, California 1, California 2, and run up to California 9 million if it wants to. And also California, but with an at symbol instead of an A and a one instead of an L and uh, so forth. You get the idea where people just substitute uh, numbers that look similar to letters Uh, that that's sometimes called leet speak. And that's always going to be in dictionary attacks as well. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting that we constantly see articles about this. I think it's starting to filter down to the general public, and I think that's why it's important to see these articles over and over and for us to keep mentioning it, because it is the single most important – it's the key to everything. It's the key to your household. It's like if you were to just toss keys out for your front door um, (laughs) that people could access, that's like, you know, a one, two, three, four, five, six password. Yep. So also don't toss keys out your front door. Yes, don't <laughs> toss keys. As related, I'm, I would be very hesitant about using a smart lock. Uh, I'm not really convinced that these things are safe, but that's just me, you know, growing up in an analog world. We should have a conversation about this, that at some point, because uh, I'm, I'm of a similar opinion. We've had this conversation before. My my wife and I have talked about this and we've talked about, um, does it make sense? Like, is there, is there any good reason to do this? You know, my wife likes the idea of being able to, you know, check the lock after we leave home. But I'm like, yeah, but if that's your only lock (laughs) and someone can figure out how to hack it. Well, it doesn't matter how many locks you have. If one of them is hackable, then if you have five doors on your house with five locks and one is hackable, it doesn't matter how good the other four are, right? We got to talk about this at some point. Yeah, okay. We're a little over time today, but we'll we'll have to put a pin in this because it's a good conversation. Okay. Okay. Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.